wasn't in the notes at all. You didn't have my introduction. You just had what I outlined. And what I outlined is what all of you have in, in your notes. And that's exactly what Kim had and what she was to pull songs from. So praise the Lord for that. So here we are. This is third week in Ephesians out of 15. And it's been a, an impressive two weeks. And it's not going to stop today. I was joking with Harrison. I'm like, you should get some extra donuts in your belly because today's going to punch you in the stomach a little bit. And as it's, you know, more donuts in your belly, the softer it's going to blow, right? But when we speak of already not yet, I am saved, but it's not yet fully realized. I am justified and I'm declared righteous, but I'm not fully righteous. I'm sanctified by the Holy Spirit and being sanctified, but I'm not fully sanctified. And so in the context of already not yet, and especially because this is our walk. This is our life. I'm not saying necessarily together, but we are the church together, but we are church members, individual of one another too. We are God's children, adopted sons and daughters. And so part of what a, a lot of every sermon that, that I've been doing is foundational for one question and one question alone. And it's to help all of us, myself included, even as I'm preparing sermons, this one question is two words. So what? So what? And that's where we find ourselves this morning. We know that certainly already and not yet saved. A lot of things are already done and happening, but they're not yet fully realized. And so today, especially as we glorify and worship the Lord Jesus, I just want you to keep that question in your head. So what? So what? What does this mean? And this is where I say this is important for our individual walks as well as for our corporate walks together. Because, again, this is our lives. Why would we want not want to know why our Creator has created it the way that He has? And why would we not want to know and realize just why things are wrong in this world because of what God has laid out for us as what's wrong, which is ultimately us. So without further ado, let's pray and then let's discuss how all by grace in and through the Lord Jesus affects each and every one of us individually and yet corporately. So dear Heavenly Father, as always, I thank you for all the blessings in our lives, especially those that we fail to see. And while we can see many of those blessings, that which is good in our lives, there's still a lot more that we don't see. There's a lot going on behind the scenes that we don't begin to know, let alone begin to understand. And so, Lord Jesus, today, as you begin to reveal some of the, the secret workings in our lives and just who you are, what you've done, and what you continue to do, may you tune our hearts and our wills to your glory. May you turn our hearts and our wills to your word that we may understand and be able to walk more efficiently and effectively. It is through good theology that we're able to find good hands and feet movements on how to live our lives. And so in light of this, Lord Jesus, I fully expect you to lead us by the Spirit and so that we may answer the question, so what? And so here we are. We love you, Lord Jesus. Use this time well. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. Do you got a page number, Frank? 
1079 in the blue Bibles in the pews in front of you. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. And this is the word of the Lord. Such simple verses, but such powerful verses too. There's so many facts in these nine verses that we could seriously be here for hours again. Much like last week, as we were talking about that too. We could really be here for hours again if I was to go over everything in detail. But as hard as it is, I feel like I have to shortchange the Word of God to some degree because I know we all have, you know, a certain attention span, about 45 minutes, right, at most, at most. And so even though, yeah, there's times I've gone over, hopefully we stay between the 30 and the 45 block so that we can get what we need to get out of this. But what really, very simply, is that we need to see what God has done. We need to give God the glory as he deserves the glory and stop trying to take the credit for ourselves. That's ultimately one of our greatest human flaws. That's why Lucifer fell, right? He was seeking the glory for himself. And so as sinful human beings that are bent on self, as we're all led astray, each to our own way, this whole first chapter going into the second and the third chapter much like we started in the beginning, all deals with God's change, what he has done. There's very little that has to do with us other than we being the recipients and that perhaps we embrace these gifts that God has given us. <clears throat> and so for this first point, God's given us faith, he's given us love, and he's given us hope. And they abound because they're in abundance and because they are truly from God. When we think about faith, we think about belief, we think about trust, we think about confidence, faithfulness, many such other things. Faith, in and of itself, is a gift of God. So much human conception has thought about this, as this is something that I have done, this is something I have chosen, I want to be very real with you based on Strong's Concordance, based on the Bible and based on the character of God. Faith is not something that we have mustered in and of ourselves. It is truly a gift of God. So faith, to go to the facts, Strong's G4102, 
word pistis, means faith, means belief, means trust, means confidence. Here's where it goes on a little further. Faith, pistis, comes from pitheo, which means to persuade or be persuaded. So to properly use this is to talk about persuasion or to be persuaded or to come to trust. Goes on further. 4102 pistis, faith is always a gift of God and never something that can be produced by people. In short, pistis for the believer is God's divine persuasion and therefore distinct from human belief, which is confidence, yet it involves it. The Lord continually births faith in the yielded believer so they can know what he prefers. For example, the persuasion of his will, something we talked about heavily last week about the will of God. How do you know the will of God except for the spirit that dwells within us? Many of us tried to read the Bible long before that. And not a lot of it made sense. And it was very easy to set back down. Whereas now, it's not as easy for those who are changed by the spirit. Gospel of change. God changes us. He builds faith within us. Not to say that love is any different. Agape, love, benevolence, good, it's G number 26. Comes early because it's an A word. So agape, love which centers in moral preference. And so too in secular ancient Greek, agape focused on preference. Likewise, the verb form agapao in antiquity means to prefer. So in the New Testament, G26, agape, typically refers to divine love or what God prefers. So it's God's love. We talk about it being actionable. We talk about it being sacrificial. It's a love that we don't understand because our human love is reciprocal. Divine love loves because it's very simply the right thing to do. Hope. I know I've talked about hope a lot over the course of the five years we've been around. Hope, very simply, from an earthly standpoint, is nothing more than a wish. I hope you come to dinner tonight. I hope you come to service this morning. I hope you enjoy it. All of those hopes contain a, a measure of doubt within them. I hope you do, but you might not. Biblical hope, very different. Expectation, trust, and confidence. 1680. Elpis, from elpo, to anticipate or welcome. So properly used, it's an expectation of what is sure or certain. Hope is an expectation of what is sure or certain. And this isn't that different from what God describes it as in his word, Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is the assurance, confidence of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So again, whether it's from the concordance, from the word of God, hope is confidence. There's no doubt within it whatsoever. And yet, earthly hope is filled with nothing but doubt. But biblical hope is confident. And so faith, love, and hope, essentially, is what Paul describes as the pillars of the Christian faith. 
And as you see from this too, as he's writing to this church, and again, this epistle is one that is probably the most contemporary. It doesn't deal with a lot of cultural standards. It doesn't deal with what was going on in Ephesus. It wasn't even a specific church in Ephesus. And you'll see that there's no specific people named in this epistle. None. And so he's writing it to a general audience, which makes it just as important today as it was back then. And so faith, love, and hope abound, abound all by grace in and through our Lord Jesus because it is who he is. God is love. And as we were talking about faith, and, and again, you know, it might be a hard pill to swallow that it's not something you did again. But I want to remind you, too, of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so, faith, love, and hope. You just heard faith and love were gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then hope comes from the confident expectation of our Lord and Savior that He is who He says He is and that He's done what He says He's done and that God the Father keeps His promises. And we have that hope. While hope is not specifically mentioned in this first point, it is what bridges everything together, if you will. Because without that confidence, what do we really have? I guess you could say we would have religion where we can pretend to climb the ladder ourselves and we can earn our own righteousness before God, but that's not going to fly with God. That's not going to earn anything with Him because once you're guilty, once you've sinned, once you've missed the mark of glorifying God and have glorified yourself instead, how do you become unguilty? And it's true. It's only through the blood of Christ. And going back throughout history, understanding the nature of a high priest and what high priests do when they atone for the sins of other people. But faith, love, and hope abound all by grace in and through the Lord Jesus. Consider that. As we go on to the second point, Paul continues in this letter. You see that I give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, and then this is his prayer. This is part of his prayer. There's a lot of speculation about this letter too because it's not identified to specific people or genres or culturally impactive. But what goes on about this is that a lot of people believe that the first three chapters are all just a prayer in this too. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. I don't think it changes the facts of who God is and what he's done and how Paul as an elder or a pastor cares for the flock of believers, the little children, the sheep, his brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Paul's praying ultimately, as you see from the second verse, that to have the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Eyes of your hearts enlightened. That's something interesting most people don't pray for other people for, right? But isn't that necessary, especially as Paul's talking about the Holy Spirit. And as I joke that the Holy Spirit's kind of the Rodney Dangerfield of, you know, the Trinity he gets no respect. But in this letter, he gets nothing but respect. And in his respect for the Spirit, he certainly enlightens us as to what the Holy Spirit does for all of us. 
And so the Holy Spirit reveals to us the knowledge of Him. And it's called the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him in this. Last week it was called the, the promise and the seal, the guarantee of our salvation. The Holy Spirit plays a very important role because that's that peace of God that dwells within us, that gives us, when we say the gospel of change and choice, it gives us that choice to walk in righteousness rather than to walk in our self-serving nature, which is human nature. It's always about ourselves. Look at the culture of the world, survival of the fittest. Only the strong will survive. It's all about you. It's all about your performance. It's all about everything. Much like religion. Religion is ultimately about your performance. This is all by grace. Unmerited favor. That's what grace is. It's not something you earned. It's not something you deserved. It's something that was freely given to you. And if it's something that's freely given to you and it's not something that you've earned on your own, it's impossible to lose it because it has been freely given to you. But I will say, if you don't embrace it, is it accepted? Is it, is it taken in? Something for us to chew on and to think about in our so what? So, Paul's praying for the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened by God. And I want to remind you, heart is not the blood pumping muscle, but heart in ancient Hebrew and carrying through into Greek was the epitome of who you are. It is when we talk about love the Lord your God with all your body, with all your soul, with all your spirit, with your mind. Heart is all of those. It's the physical aspect of you, it's the emotional aspect of you, and it's the physical or spiritual aspect of you. Those three equal the heart. And so we need to be enlightened. We need to be brought to the truth. And that's exactly what God does when he blesses us with the Holy Spirit. But why is what's more important. And many of us will, will miss over this unless... You know, you look at the back of your bulletin and you see that I've lined it out for us. There are three big things that I don't know that we all understand. It's taken a while and I don't know that we, myself included, can ever fully understand what is the hope that God has revealed to us. We can understand a lot of it, but that's the first one. And if you look at it, it comes in verse 18 that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. The hope to which he has called you. And remember what hope is. Confident expectation. No doubt. So what is this confident expectation that God has called us to? This is where I could have a five-hour sermon going through many of the other aspects of the Bible, many of the other letters and the teachings. But I want to remind us that this is all of our own individual walks with Christ as well. While certainly I'm here to help and Chris is here to help as an elder and certainly we can all help each other, it is our own individual walks or our own individual relationship with Christ that matters the most. When we go to our judgment day, it will be us and God, not my wife and I and God. It will be me and God won't be my whole family and God. It will just be me and God. He's the creator. He's the heavenly father. He's the one 
that wanted you here. He's the one that wanted you as a member of his church, but more so to go back to simplicity, wanted you as a human being on this planet. And so we can give God lots of praise for that, but I think that we could give God a lot of praise for what is the hope to which he has called us. And that's where I leave you in this, thinking about that. Think about the hope that God has called you to. Already, but not yet fully realized. And remember, our citizenship works the same way. We are citizens of heaven, but we're still here. I'm an adopted son and daughter of the Lord Most High, an heir, an inheritance with God the Father, which bridges us to that second point of what he's talking about. I don't know what that all fully entails. Do you? I know a lot based on Scripture. And again, we could go over this for hours and hours and hours. But this is something that, without a doubt, can easily bring joy within us by the Holy Spirit. Because whatever ails us pales in comparison to the glory that is to be revealed to us when God calls us home and when we're officially with Him for now and forever. So God says too, not only the hope that God has called us to, the confident expectation that He's called us to, but that we may know what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. You and I have truly been given the greatest gift any of us could ever be given, and it was free. You might be like, well, I would like a mansion. That would be a great gift I would like for free. I would like that very nice, fast Lamborghini. I think that would be great too. I would like a million fulfillion dollars. It's very human. It's very earthly. It's very us. It's very who we are. We're always in the moment. We're not seeing the big picture. And to see that big picture has to take you out of you. And that's how we find that hope that we've been called to. Because whatever you think you are, whatever title you have, whatever earthly position you may hold, in Christ is a hundredfold better. And then wherever you think you're at, however successful you are. I've made no qualms about it. I had a room full of plaques and awards. They're all meaningless. I have a family, totally meaningful, right? Opportunities to love and minister and serve. I've had many other things in my life, but all pale in comparison to knowing the Lord Jesus. And that's not easy to say. That comes with a lot of, I don't know what you'd call it, maybe trials and tribulations, a lot of edification over the years. But I'm still suspect and subject to things that used to bother me and that used to hold me captive. Being from the sales world that I was, money was still a thing, but it still has to die in comparison to knowing Christ. And so... What are the riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints? I think very simply that last song just said that we will be with God. We will be with the one who gives all in all, who supplies everything. 
and that any need that I may have will definitely be fulfilled. Now, not necessarily all of my wants, because like I said, I'm still human, just like all of us, still sinners in need of a Savior, and it's by grace alone, His unmerited favor, that we can stand here and sit here and be here at all in the first place. So as those things continue to die, the glory of God fills us in, and the inheritance of the saints is being with our Creator in and of itself. Yes, there are other things, but in its simplest form, we're eternal beings now. And we'll get to more of that in communion. The third thing that he talks about, that we may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. God's immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. I don't even know where to begin or where to end with this because there's just so much in this. I could very simply say God can do anything. I could very simply say, too, that God can choose to do nothing. And that's okay, too. Because it's all by grace that we find ourselves here. And it's within his power, and especially as it goes on into the next verse, or to the next point as well, when he talks about raising Christ from the dead. And that Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. And with Jesus as the firstborn of the dead, that signifies that more are going to be raised from the dead. And that's pretty powerful. I don't know anyone else that can do that. I don't know anyone else who's got control over that in my life. I know we've all tried, and I know that scientists are still trying to you know, freeze somebody until there's you know, a cure for cancer, do all these things, try to be eternal. But we missed the points and we missed the mark of what everything in this world is scheduled and prepared to do, which is die in its simplest form. This world isn't going to last forever. God has said so in his word. His promises are more valuable than gold, or at least ought to be more valuable than gold in our lives. And yet, if we had God's promise and a bar of gold, who knows what we might take in this specific moment in time. Grace must abound. This is how people change. And as we're going to see from next week, because this is just part one of part two. Part two, wait till next week. Woo! It's going to be fun. But I'm going to say it like this. I don't know how something that's dead brings itself back to life. And that's us. And that's how God lays it out for us. In its simplicity, we're dead. We're completely dead. Everyone is dead until God raises them to life. And you're like, man, how did I get here? I don't know. I don't know how you got here. You drove in your car this morning? That would be the simple earthly answer, right? But to get to where you're at in this point in your life, you think about all the crazy situations and circumstances and events that had to occur that lead us here to this moment. And that's grace. That's grace too. So just consider, especially in the so what question and why. Why do we learn these things? Why are these things important? Because they change you and they give you choices. And that's what God does. And that's what God wants to do. Remember that very first verse. I'm 
guaranteeing I surprised many of us by coming out with five different points in that very first verse where it just says, Paul, an apostle by the will of God. But you must see, too, that God changes identities. He gives new meaning and purpose. He reveals his will to you. He makes you a holy. He sets you apart for his possession as a saint. And then as the church, as God's family, everywhere you go, there's going to be part of God's family. If only we all wore signs, right? Because it's really hard to tell who are really Christ and who aren't Christ. But remember, there are only two types of people in this world, those that are in Christ and everybody else. That's it. You can divvy it up and dissect it however else you want, but as far as God is concerned, that's it. There are those that are his and there's everybody else. It's the same concept of Israel, his, Gentiles, everyone else. When we read scripture. So by the Spirit, we have our hearts enlightened to a glorious knowledge of God and his truth. And brothers and sisters, this is all by grace in and through the Lord Jesus. Something to praise and to worship God about and over, as well as something to consider as we lead our lives and apply our lives. Prayer's not that important. I don't know, man. <laughs> In the so what category, I don't know. Talking to the guy who supplies and gives everything tells me that it is pretty important. Yes, he may know everything, but I'm telling you, he wants this relationship. It's what it's always been about. That's why he sent his son in this, to restore a relationship. It's called reconciliation. It's a facet of the gospel to reconcile. We know about reconciliation. It's two parties that are struggling. Jesus is the great mediator that allows God the Father and this little sinful human being to be restored to a right and a real relationship, to be reconciled. Point three, God's power revealed in and through the Christ. This is one of the most amazing glorifications of Jesus you'll ever read in Scripture as it's just very simply laid out. There are many other great areas that speak of Jesus, but look at these seven points. Underneath point three, he is the firstborn of the dead. That comes from verse 20. Again, this is part of the promise of God and the resurrection that we can all experience and that we can all enjoy later on. It's hope, it's confident expectation that this is going to happen. We know that Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father. All authority and power and dominion are his. All of it, every single bit of it. It's amazing. I don't know where to go about that. Where do you go when you want something done? I would think Jesus. All authority and power and dominion over everything. Just a thought. There's some food for thought out there. In the so what? So what that all authority, dominion, and everything has been given to Jesus? The next thing. Every earthly name and title appear under Jesus the Christ. I added the 
Because a lot of times, in a lot of ways, a lot of people think Christ is his last name, which it isn't. Christ means Messiah from the Old Testament. What they both mean is anointed one. God's anointed one. In how God made earth and designed it, and as you see from governmental structures and everything else, that we've got hierarchies, right? We've got an order of you know, authority, if you will. And in that order of authority that God has instituted, the Father, the Christ is at the top of that list. There is nothing above him, yet everything resides below him. Presidents, kings, rulers, fathers. I mean, again, everything. Every single thing is under him. Next, eternally, eternally, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. It's eternal. It's forever. It's not ending anytime soon. Remember we talked about enthronement a while back? God is enthroned in heaven and no one's going to unseat him when we went through the Psalms, the enthronement type Psalms. Eternally, King of kings, Lord of lords, and Savior. The list goes on and on, too, of names for our Lord Jesus. But ultimately, understand it's eternal and it's forever. What does that mean for us? So what? So what that Jesus is eternal? So what that he's the King of kings? So what that he is the Lord of lords? So what that he's Savior? I would like to think that that so what question does have great answers behind it. But I just, again, food for thought. I can instruct you, but at the same time, this is our own individual walks. And it's important to come to these conclusions ourselves. Now, not only is he in this age and also in the one to come, eternally King of kings, Lord of lords, but God's put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. I have the greatest boss in the world, I'm not going to lie. I've had a lot of not great bosses in my life. I really praise the Lord that I'm under him. Although it's very hard and I'm wrong a lot of the time, I can accept that because I still work for the greatest boss in the world. All of us are under the Lordship of Christ. All of us are under him in the church. The church even has a little bit of a hierarchy in the structure when we talk about elders and then deacons and then members. Everyone vitally important, though. Every single member important. And as you'll see from the next point, why that is important to some degree. But we need to understand that the church isn't just in this room. A lot of churches feel that way, that we're the master, we're the only ones. It's a lie. The church is everywhere. God's people are everywhere. I just hope that we can invite those who are true in there or that those that maybe don't know Jesus, but they know of Jesus, that they would walk in here so that they could know Jesus rather than just know of Jesus. And so as the head of the universal church, as well as the local church, all of us are under the lordship of Jesus and all of us serve the greatest king of kings and the Lord of lords the creator of heaven and earth and everything that's in it, our Savior, 
Jesus Christ. So what? I say that facetiously <laughs> in this moment. Now, not only did he put all things under his feet and give him head over all things of the church, the church is his body. We are being used by Christ. Is there a willingness within us to be used by Christ? I would like to think so because the community of Genoa has seen that these people are different. They have seen that they are being used by God to serve others that are less fortunate than themselves. They are being used by God to bring new life to other people. They are being used by God, however God would want them to be used, in order to bring about salvation. Because remember, that's ultimately the will of God, the salvation of people, to adopt sons and daughters. And God will use us to have conversations with others because we're in the world, not of it, to bring them to the knowledge of the truth. But keeping in mind, it's all by grace. But man, however I can joyfully talk about the Lord Jesus, I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Let's do it. I've been ready for a long time. I've done it a lot, and I'll continue to do it a lot. Half of those vacations that I've been on have been like missional challenges for me to have conversations with people that maybe I can plant a seed of some kind. Maybe God would use me. I would never know one way or another. But man, one thing that's amazing to me is when people say, yeah, you really light up when you're talking about Jesus. And I'm like, bingo, that's it. That's the victory right there. Nothing else. Even if all my words fall short, somebody needs to see that Jesus is exciting and that he's not just a, so what? Yeah, he's Lord. Yeah, he died for my sins. So what? I get out of jail for free. This is great. doesn't work like that. It's never worked like that. It's sad that the world believes that it works like that. But we all have tickling ears and we all want to believe what we want to believe when it's convenient for us. But that's not the case either when it comes to the Word of God because the Word of God's living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. Why? Because it discerns the thoughts and intentions of our heart, the core of who we are and why we even exist. And so... Church, as the church. We haven't gone through 1 Corinthians yet. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or Romans 12. Both of those chapters deal mightily talking about the church being the body of Christ. But I simplified it a little bit. We're his body. We're his hands. We're his feet. We're the mouths. We're the hearts that care for others. And we all share one mind, the mind of Christ as our head and our leader. So our will as the church is God's will as creator. Pretty simple. And then lastly, Jesus is the fullness of God who gives everything, who fills all in all. Consider God's power over everything revealed in and through the Christ. Consider God's power in how this amazing plan over thousands of years took place and how it perfectly took place at the right time, at the right way. 
I don't know about all of you, but I think about God's timing or his providence a lot, especially in the part where he waited 35 years to reveal himself to me. And in those 35 years, I led my life in every way that I thought it should be led. I did the things that I thought were right based on the culture and based on the world. The last 12 years have been very, very, very different because it hasn't been about me at all. Oh, I still get in the way, don't get me wrong. Like, that's going to happen, and it's going to continue to happen because I'm still human, darn it. But at the end of the day, seeing life, understanding who I am in God's eyes has made a vast difference in how I live my life. Understanding why I'm here in God's eyes has made a vast difference in my life. Understanding the problems with me and those around me through God's eyes has radically changed my life. Understanding what's being done to fix it and that hope, that confident expectation and that trust that I have in Jesus has radically changed my life. And I don't even know how I got here, <laughs> but I'm here. Praise the Lord. And isn't that the moral of everything? Very simply to praise the Lord. If I was to simplify life, wouldn't it fall under the two great commandments? Love of the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All I can do is praise the Lord and enjoy my life as it is, knowing full well who I am, knowing full well why I'm here, knowing full well what's wrong with myself and what's wrong with every other human being on the planet, and knowing full well what God's plan is to be done to fix it. Now, do I know every single detail? Of course not. I don't know every single detail of how the earth was formed, but I know that God created it. Because, you know, what's amazing is that, again, it's all taken by faith, right? None of us were there in the beginning, and yet we put our faith in different things, it's said. But those that have faith in the Creator are given that faith in the Creator. It just leaves kind of a window and a gap, in a sense. But understand this, as is the name of the sermon, that it is all by grace which is unmerited favor in and through the work of our Lord Jesus. This is all part of God's plan. Every single bit of it that's going on in the world today, nothing catches him by surprise and nothing's out of his control. Whether he intervenes or abstains, it's God's choice. And so... I go back to that fundamental question about everything, and especially about every sermon I've written in the last five years. So what? So what? What does it mean? What does it mean that faith, love, and hope abound in my life now? So what? What do those impact me? How do they impact me? So what that a glorious knowledge of God and his truth by the Holy Spirit to have the hearts of our eyes enlightened. 
So what that God's power is revealed in and through the Christ? So what that life is all by grace in and through the Lord Jesus? So let me ask you this where it's actually going to impact you. So what is your life? Or, better said, so what is your life in Christ? Dear Heavenly Father, as always, I thank you for your word, your truth, your love, your grace, your mercy, your kindness, your generosity, and, and certainly every other grace-filled thing that you have given us in our lives. Words seem to fail me at this moment, but Lord Jesus, I trust that everything will work out as it's supposed to, and I trust that you will answer these questions for each of us individually as well as corporately as your church. I understand that we've made life about many different things, but understand that we have life only because of you. And so, Lord Jesus, we give you all the praise and thanksgiving as it is all by grace in and through you, Lord Jesus, that we have true life, that we can understand life as it is, that we can understand who we are and why we're here and what's wrong with the world and what's being done to fix it, and that we can have true hope, a confident expectation, that we can have faith, which is a gift from you, Lord Jesus, and that we can have certainly love, which is entirely who you are. And so... There's so much more to ask for, and there's so much more to give you praise for. But Lord Jesus, we just thank you for bringing us together as your church, as your people. And we thank you for the lives that you've changed. And we certainly thank you for the choices that you've given us in our lives to walk in your truth and the narrow gate rather than following the wide road that leads to our own destruction that everyone else is on to. So Lord Jesus, we thank you. Continue to sanctify us by the Spirit. And may our lips praise you in praise, and may our hands and feet worship you in deeds. Thank you. Amen.